Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Federalist Files. On today's show, fallout from our pullout of Afghanistan. The U.S. is considering giving aid to the Taliban and recognizing them as a country. Uh, woke teachers destroying our children. And finally, I get to that uh, the man that shot Ashley Babbitt that I missed last show. Thank you, Commissioner. I, I really think it all works. I'm not, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in. As always, your admirable host here. I have a uh, jam-packed show, as always. Now, that is Joe Biden. He responded to the disaster due to the hurricane. I think it was Hurricane Ida over in uh, Louisiana in particular. New Orleans, uh, he's resp- he showed face there, so he showed face, I think, three days in a row. He spoke uh, yesterday about about the situation in Afghanistan, and he actually kind of touted his success, which was very weird, over 13 dead people, and, you know, uh, from what they're saying is 200 stranded. I'm hearing different reports from different people. I was just watching Glenn Beck saying that there's thousands of people stranded. So maybe the 200 people that are stranded are government records, from what I understand. And now there could be hundreds of others that did not report to the government or thousands of others that did not report to the government that they were going over to Afghanistan. Um, so Biden, they're going to try to pin it on uh, the American citizens here. But first, I want to go over this piece, and then I'll kind of get to some of this Afghanistan stuff. I, I thought this was a very uh, interesting, very perplexing piece written by Town Hall, written by Terry Polson. It's titled, Does Joe Biden Want to Destroy America? Which is a very interesting question. And just to take a couple of uh, points from the piece, it goes into all of the different things that Joe Biden has done thus far during his administration. I guess what his administration, what his handlers have done, because everybody knows that he's really not the one at the forefront here. So if you want to destroy America, uh, what kind of steps would you take? And this piece covers a couple of them. One of them being opening our southern border to all who want to come in. If you want a valid country, creating a country with no borders, um, where people can move in and out of that country, you're no longer, then there's no point, you no longer have a country because you cannot uh, block any foreign attacks from any domestic or or rather any uh, foreign terrorist groups. Any foreign adversaries as well can sneak right into your country. And they can infiltrate it pretty easily. Uh, so so without having a, a strong southern, <clears throat> as well as even northern border for that matter, uh, you're not going to have a country. Civilization will cease to exist. If we continue with this weird uh, Medicaid, Medicare, this this welfare state that we have in the United States, we cannot keep an order, open border policy. That is why Bernie Sanders actually was always against open border policy. Uh, now this last election, he was a little bit more liberal on it, I guess you would say, uh, left wing on it, just to try to get some more votes and validate himself. But it's it's known that you cannot have a country with a welfare state like this and have open borders because then people are going to come to the country for the free stuff. Uh, essentially people respond to incentives it's just the way it works so another thing here if you want to destroy america do everything you can to end our energy independence this is a very interesting one as well yes we were very independent on the middle east as well as russia uh precluding the trump administration once trump took over we became energy independent and actually the biggest net exporter of oil in the world 
So Biden, on his very first day, he halted the construction of the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. He was closing drilling on federal, federal lands. He's working on the Paris Climate Accord, which once again, that's a joke. The Paris Climate Accord, folks, it is unconstitutional. That would be considered a treaty. It's not really a treaty because you did not have it go through the House of Representatives or, or the uh, Senate either, or even the states for that matter. I think the states actually might have a little bit of a say as well um, in that case as well. So, uh, if you want to destroy America, stoke the fires of racial hatred in an already divided country. So yeah, this, this one goes, comes straight from the Mao, Mao playbook. Critical race theory is essentially critical, critical class theory. They called it now in, in China, it was very racially homogenous. So you couldn't use race to pin one uh, group against another group. Rather, you had to use class, uh, to pin the poor and the middle class against the rich and wealthy, or vice versa, and that's what Mao did while he was uh, in China. He was he was a commander. He wasn't even the president, and then he pretty much overthrew the government because he had all the guns because he was the commander of the military. Now in this country, what they're doing, because the middle class is so striving and so successful, and there really isn't much of a lower class. With a successful middle class, it's difficult to tell them to try to overthrow anybody or to change fundamentally change a system to a communist regime uh, because the current system is working for most people. So you would think this the system's working pretty decently. I have a very solid life here in America. So why would I want more social safety nets, more social welfare programs? <clears throat> so instead what they do is they stoke the fires of racial hatred rather because that's a better way to divide the country. They already know that the country is somewhat divided by race or was in the very past because of this country's past more than anything. Um, just when things were beginning to get better and beginning to get good, right, they turn around and they bring us back. They take a time machine and they take us back 100 years. Uh, that's what the Democrat Party's been doing. They've been leveraging this position in order to get people to fight each other in this country, divide and conquer. It's the classical uh, technique of Maoists in China and many other communist regimes. So I got another one here. Allow crime on the streets to go unpunished. So we saw this, obviously. Um, you know, there's a double standard, January 6th. I've pointed this out many times if you follow me on Twitter. You know, it's January 6th. Those people are in prison. Uh, they're not given... They're not seeing their lawyer as often as they're supposed to. And they're also in solitary confinement. They have yet to go through a trial. So that's that's a suspension of habeas corpus... Um, a fair and speedy trial, which which there's an absence of that. So there's a violation of the Constitution to begin with. And then the other standard is on the left, you have Antifa who can just riot and burn down cities to the ground. They can actually claim their own autonomous zones. And they, are, uh, they have impunity. Uh, they do not get in any type of trouble. What's more important is that allowing crime to go unpunished is the problem. Because if you cannot secure, because the very few things the government's actually supposed to do is uh, life, liberty, and property. They're supposed to protect property, uh, supposed to protect factional against factional violence. These are the very few essential roles of a federalized government, a federalized system, and they've, they've yet to figure that out. Uh, they burned down, they almost burned down a federal courthouse in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. And if you're not going to enforce the law, then the middle class will be destroyed by another class of citizen that is that promotes lawlessness. They will continue to perpetuate that, 
And eventually they will steal to the point where the middle class is no longer the middle class. People will lose their lives. They will die. It's not good living in a place that does not have security. It is pretty much just a mob rule or whoever is the uh, the powerful influence and fills the power vacuum is the one that rules. So I think I got one. I got a couple more. Keep calling for lockdowns and strict mask guidelines. That one's pretty self-explanatory. Yes, uh, by doing this, they're destroying and decimating these small businesses. They know they're doing that. And then all of the business, all the consumer base is going to the big corporations. This is not surprising. And it also instills a, instills a sense of fear. I'm seeing this currently in my, my, uh, my current occupation in the workplace. People are now putting their masks back on. They're believing this hoax. And people are complaining about others not getting vaccinated. Uh, we know that now the Pfizer vaccines, due to the results in Israel right now, we know they're not effective. They're only effective past, like, I think something like four to six months. Then after that, they're ineffective. You have 39% of cases right now in Israel are people that have been vaccinated. So that goes to show that the vaccines just don't work. Uh, the efficacy does not last. And yes, this this mask, it's an object of fear. It, it shows that we are still not in a normal period of time. And they're going to continue to perpetuate it as long as they can, because that will ensure for them that they can hold on to their power. So another one, allow Congress to pass reckless deficit spending, creating government dependence and rampant inflation. Yes, the more and more you create a government uh, dependence, the more the people are actually legitimately dependent on the government to get their next paycheck, uh, to survive, to live. And then by causing inflation, you exacerbate this problem even further because the prices of all of the goods go up. And then the people, the voter asks, how do we bring the prices back down? The government steps in and they say, we'll subsidize it. We'll subsidize this. We'll subsidize that until the government is subsidizing every industry, <clears throat> meaning the government owns every single industry. And they'll have to jack the prices up or instead of doing that, they'll have to ration food. And by rationing food, I mean the richest and the most connected, the wealthy class, the oligarchical class, like our politicians, will be getting food and you will all be living in squalor and you will starve to death. That is what happens in a country with massive amounts of deficit spending and dependence, as well as rampant inflation. So to go on next... <clears throat> Establish the federal control of elections. This is H.R. Uh, 1, the bill that they proposed before. Yes, they want the federal government to pull funding unless if state governments heed to the advice of what the federal head tells them to do. In the Constitution specifically, it states that laws as it pertains to elections shall be the jurisdiction of the state legislature uh, thereof, that specific state. What they want to do, the federal government, is they will pull funding unless if you adhere to their rules. Um, and and in doing so, essentially they just run all elections. You have, to, you have to follow the whims of what the federal government tells you to do as the state or else you don't have the money in the budget to be able to pay for carrying out an election, uh, which a lot of these states end up getting federal funding, funding to carry out the elections. Uh, because everyone's in such deficit spending, the reason everyone's in deficit spending is because the government, we have a bunch of people running this system that do not know and have not worked really in the private sector, so they don't understand how to balance a budget. They have no idea how any of this works, and we have more and more people that just vote, vote these people in. They want more government in their lives, unfortunately. And the very last one, and this is the most important one, and that's, that's why uh, I'm going to go on with some of this Afghanistan stuff. If you want to destroy America, project military weakness and failed leadership in times of crisis... So yes, that's another one. That is the very last one. 
And in this case, it completely applies. We look very weak. We are running out of Afghanistan. We have Americans still there on the ground. Um, the Taliban actually ran onto the air base to celebrate their, their victory. And you have the United States of America, who's supposed to be the biggest superpower, the strongest military in the entire world, who can blow countries off of the earth, retreating to a bunch of dudes that were living in a cave for the last 10 years. So it does look pathetic. It looks very wimpy. So really, this is the question is, does Joe Biden actually want to destroy America? Do the liberals really actually want to destroy America? Are they trying to figure out right now, with their PSYOP going on in the media class, how to continue to slowly deteriorate America, which right now it's it's exa- it's been exacerbated. It's pretty rampant, the pace thus right, right now thus far. Um, do they want to continue to do that? Are they going to continue to do that, but at a pace where the media can cover for them? That's really the question. Uh, so I have I have a clip here of Biden uh, pretty much blaming U.S. citizens that did not get out of Afghanistan, saying, oh, well, we, we notified them multiple times, and it's on them at this point. And this doesn't surprise me. We had a couple conservative commentators saying this a couple weeks ago uh, that this was going to be the big cover-up for the Biden administration when they don't get everybody out of Afghanistan. Uh, play clip two. We reached out 19 times to Americans in Afghanistan with multiple warnings and offers to help them leave Afghanistan all the way back as far as March. After we started the evacuation 17 days ago, we did initial outreach and analysis and identified around 5,000 Americans who had decided earlier to stay in Afghanistan, but now wanted to leave. Our Operation Allied Rescue ended up getting more than 5,500 Americans out. We got out thousands of citizens and diplomats from those countries that went into Afghanistan with us to get bin Laden. We got out locally employed staff of the United States Embassy and their families, totaling roughly 2,500 people. We got thousands of Afghan translators and interpreters and others who supported the United States out as well. Now we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. So this is what Biden has to say in his speech. I don't necessarily know if it's true. Uh, From different reports, different accounts of the situation, I do not have it actually uh, verified that there's thousands of people there. It's just these 200 people, these 100, 200 people are people that are on a United States list that told the U.S., hey, listen, I'm going to Afghanistan. Now, there's people that have never even been contacted, uh, some reports are saying. And once again, I'm trying to verify these reports. That's why I'm kind of waiting for the news to get out. I just figured I would mention them uh, just to be safe. But there's reports as well that, that, that some people have never even been notified by the White House. So we don't really know exactly what's going on right now. Um, Biden administration's obviously, they're attempting to cover everything up here. They're going to try to make this like it was the citizens' fault for staying in Afghanistan instead of us looking like dribbling idiots uh, by pulling the military out before pulling U.S. citizens out of that country. So I have Biden next. He's going to be blaming the former administration. It's all Trump's fault because Trump made a deal with the Taliban before. Uh, Play clip six. Either follow through on the commitment made by the last administration and leave Afghanistan, or say we weren't leaving 
and commit another tens of thousands more troops going back to war. That was the choice, the real choice, between leaving or escalating. I was not going to extend this forever war. And I was not extending a forever exit. The decision to end the military lift operations at Kabul airport was based on the unanimous recommendation of my civilian and military advisors. Now, this is Joe Biden, in this case, absolving himself of all blame. Uh, he, he's even absolving himself of blame in the future by saying, well, this idea, this was not my idea. It was my military officers and officials. They're the ones that told me the brightest and most intelligence of of the intelligence agencies as well have decided w with my decision as well to pull people out of Afghanistan. I mean, this is just a joke. The whole thing's just a joke. Um, the Biden administration, he, think, he thinks that he can sit here and say, we're not going to continue trying to get U.S citizens out of afghanistan because that would cause a forever exiting war which i've never heard of before in my life uh that actually got went on if anything it went on during the about the uh, obama administration when he continued to increase troops but kept saying that he's going to pull out as he was sending more troops into the into afghanistan so he's just making this up blatantly he's just uh you know, he's, he's being hyperbolic. He's making it like if, if you send people in there, he's pretty much saying this. He's saying, who cares about the U.S. citizens that are in Afghanistan? Because if we sent people to get them out, then those people would somehow have to be there forever. They couldn't just get them out and go home and leave. So I've been hearing all these different stories. I heard Tim Kennedy was trying to uh, drive a bus full of women out of the country. Uh, and he's a, he's a former UFC fighter. He's, I think he's in the army Rangers, I believe special forces guy. There's a lot of different stories. Uh, Glenn Beck was trying to get a bunch of Christians out of the country and the state department wasn't letting him, which is pretty outrageous. So the state department doesn't because they didn't know how to process them because Glenn Beck, realistically, this is the case folks. This makes the government look terrible that you have private citizens going and pretty much doing vigilante justice to go pick people up in Afghanistan and bring them to a, a, a country where they're going to be safe or accepted as refugees, whether it's America or some other country. This makes the government look terrible. And they hate Glenn Beck because Glenn Beck's like a kind of right winger, right, um, historically. So they don't, want, they don't want the optics of Glenn Beck saving a bunch of Christians. And they don't even like Christians to begin with in this as well. You know, any any type of religion in a general sense, the government's not going to like because it's something that you could prioritize over the state. The same thing with your children, which is the reason why they go for this tranny agenda. They go for the, um, the woman, the feminism agenda, trying to make women hate men. They do all of these things because they want to control your population. They want to see, they want you to be married and, or, and that's it, or not be married because then the number one religion in your mind, it's not the Christian religion. It's not, uh, it's not Islam. It's not any Judaism. It's none of that. It is all the government. You now are, your religion is statism. It is politically progressive left-wing ideology. That is your new religion. And when you have no children, there is nothing that you're willing to uh, sacrifice. There, there's nothing that you're willing to sacrifice for. So the only thing you're willing to sacrifice for is the government. You're not willing to sacrifice for your kids. You have a bunch of parents that are showing up right now fighting mask mandates. And the reason why is because they want it for the, they don't want mask mandates for the welfare of their own children. Um... So if you eliminate those children, when the government comes through with sanctions that are very draconian measures, 
there is going to be no response from parents because who 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 are the parents to care? There's no kids. They don't they don't care about that. Men and women hate each other. Um, they're they're further trying to push this and, and needle this, uh, move the goalposts on this, push the needle as always. So here's some equipment that uh, if you can see by this visual here. That Afghanistan and that we left in Afghanistan to the military there. Now it's in the hands of the Taliban. Uh, Twenty-two thousand Humvees, eight thousand trucks, six thirty-four M-117s, which look kind of like a combination, like a hybrid between a tank and a jeep. You got one hundred sixty-two thousand radios, sixteen thousand night vision goggles, three hundred fifty-eight thousand. It looks like M-16s. Uh, then you have 169, they're calling them armored, ca uh, personnel carriers, M113s, mineproof vehicles, 155 of those, two, uh, 126,000 pistols, uh, 176 artillery pieces, 64,000 machine guns, and you got 42,000 trucks and SUVs. That's tremendous. I mean, all this, uh, this is, this is actually, I mentioned this in a couple shows ago and I said, I think there's actually maybe a reason why the administration doesn't want to send anybody in because they have such an arsenal right now that this would be an actual, this would be like a real war if we try to fight them back for the land and tried to get us citizens out of there. This, that's an actual possibility. Now the administration's making the claim Oh, we we dismantled all their the weapons and all the vehicles. They don't know what they're doing, uh, and I have this piece to actually talk about that very briefly. But additionally, so they had four C one thirty transports, which is pretty much like the same. It's like a giant carrier uh, plane, the same that we were getting people extracting people out of uh, out of Kabul with twenty three. Uh, of these crazy attack helicopter jets, it looks like, or, or attack jets, and then 28 other ones as well. 33 M117s, it looks like a uh, Apache chopper. Blackhawks, 33 of those, and then 43 smaller helicopters. So yeah, it's I mean it's it's I believe it's billions of dollars worth of stuff. It looks pretty intense. Uh, John Kirby lying. I have this hot air piece. Uh, it's written by Ed Morrissey. So now, following the complete withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, images from the airport in Kabul showed members of the Taliban making their way through an abandoned hangar strewn with equipment, including helicopters that the U.S. left behind. However, the equipment was demilitarized and made unusable before troops left, according to Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby. He stated, and I quote, they can inspect all they want. They can look at them. They can walk around, but they can't fly them. They can't operate them. We made sure to demilitarize to make unusable all the gear that is at the airport, all the aircraft, all the ground vehicles. The only thing that we left operable are a couple of fire trucks and forklifts so that the airport itself can remain more operational going forward. End quote. So, People are saying that this that this is not true, um, that the, the nothing has been demilitarized, that they know how to fly these planes. Uh, there was a video, a very viral video. I'm not going to play it just because it's pretty much someone hanging from the helicopter. The Taliban strung a noose around somebody's neck and flew away with a helicopter to kill them, to hang them, uh, essentially. So I don't know necessarily if this is true. I don't know why the U.S. would leave military weapons there to begin with if they're not usable. So if they left a bunch of military weaponry 
with the Afghanistan military and it wasn't usable, then what was the point of leaving the weaponry with the Afghan military? You got to ask yourself that question as well. So I got this helicopter hangar clip I want to show. Uh, this is some U.S. guys checking out this this hangar, and this is all the crap that was left to the Taliban to to take. Play clip nine. Uh -huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're here right now with the Taliban as they enter into the what was only minutes ago. Uh, it was an American-controlled portion of the military airport. Now they've taken over. So just to correct myself on that, yeah, that was the Taliban. I, I kind of mistaken them because they were wearing our military. Uh, weaponry as well as some of our military gear that was obviously left for them as well so for a second i thought they were u.s citizens or u.s uh, military personnel yeah so that's the hangar in kabul the, that they just left for them with all of our military equipment you see a big plane there a little helicopter action it's definitely not good folks uh so to get to this next story i thought it was kind of interesting you got this lieutenant stuart uh sheller he was fired fox news piece you know what, I'll get to the clip first. So after the Afghan fallout, he came out and pretty much just wrecked the people at the very top that people should resign. And he has a good point, they should resign. And he's in the military, he's a lieutenant, right, uh, in the military. He said, the top brass, where are they? Why aren't they making statements? Why aren't they talking about their rank uh, in the military? Pretty much saying, like, why aren't they putting their rank on the table and stepping down or putting their money where their, their mouth is, essentially? So play clip three. But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the marine on the battlefield let someone down that service member has always rose to the occasion done extraordinary things people are upset because their senior leaders let them down and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying we messed this up if an 05 battalion commander has uh the simplest live fire incident eo complaint boom fired but we have a secretary of defense that testified to congress in may that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief, who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? Yeah, so is anybody throwing their rank on the table saying that this was a terrible idea? No, no one said anything. So after, briefly after this, uh, literally days after, he gave this uh, review of the top brass of our military, which I thought was pretty mild. I didn't think that was really that offensive. He ends up getting kicked out of his position. Uh, he's relieved of his command for calling out his superiors over the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal that led to the deaths of 13 service members. Uh, and now on Sunday, he said he was officially resigning. He put up a video on social media. It's about 10 minutes long. And just a little quote from what he said. And this is pretty admirable for a guy that had this many years in. You have to remember, when people have this many years in and they decide to retire, if they didn't meet the eligible requirements for um for a pension they're not getting it 
So this is what he said, and I quote, I could stay in the Marine Corps for another three years, but I don't think that's the path I'm on. I'm resigning my commission as a United States Marine effective now. I am forfeiting retirements, all entitlements. I don't want a single dollar. I don't want any money from the VA. I don't want any VA benefits, even though I'm sure I'm entitled to them or entitled 100 percent. End quote. So, yeah. He's pretty much burning down the whole system, this guy. I bet you this guy might run for office in the future. I don't know what will happen. Maybe he gets on Fox News or something. That's probably what will, what's in the cards for him right now, just because this is such a viral clip. And then there's a lot of, I see the left-wing media really trying to rip him apart, saying, well, you're the military. You can't say anything about the administration. And to me, that's actually completely fallacious, right? So let's say the administration, let's see the president said, we're going to do a full on sweeping gun grab of the population. We want the military in every single suburb in the United States. And we want them sweeping through taking and confiscating everyone's weaponry. If you have guys that are in the military that aren't willing to speak up in that situation, then we have a serious problem and our Republic will be doomed forever. So to make the equivalence, like you can't, you can't question the regime. Uh, if you're a military member is a problem because then who, who's to say that, the government just doesn't leverage the military against the population and the military just has to be brain dead robots and follow everything their commanders say. It's just such a stupid argument to make, especially, I mean, the left wing, they make it like they're all about equality. They care about people. They care about the working class. They care about all of these things. It's all not true. They care about instilling fear in the people and making themselves more and more powerful. So the Taliban asking for recognition as a government, uh, this is a Breitbart piece, this is hilarious. So you have the Afghan spokesman, or, or rather, I'm sorry, the Taliban spokesman. So I meant the Taliban is the one that is uh, asking for the recognition. Uh, Muja D is his name. He independently confirmed that the U.S. departure uh, before Taliban jihadist organized celebrations at Kabul's international airport in remarks to reporters on Tuesday, Mujahid said the jihadist organization would now seek friendly relations with the United States as it would with the rest of the world, given that the Afghan war had allegedly ended. So he stated in that quote, we want all countries in the world, including the United States, to recognize us. We are part of the world. We assure you that the soil of Afghanistan will not be used against any country or anyone, end quote. So, yeah, it's because everything that surrounds Afghanistan, it's all these other uh much more centralized governments that are kind of more powerful than you guys so that's not really the problem the problem is is the subjugation of the people that are in that region in afghanistan and how it has been a harbor for terrorist organizations to to hang out over there in afghanistan and plan and plot um yeah so this guy's asking essentially the f or rather ta the taliban they're asking we're going to be recognized on a world stage and just think about how crazy this is now and the u.s is working with the taliban like the taliban is a centralized government like it's some sort of a democracy or republic like system um where it's not there's no representation of the people this is just the rule not even by the mob but by the oligarchy by some really powerful individuals and very violent individuals as well. So the U.S. government was among the first to freeze Afghan government assets following former President Ashraf Ghani's flight from Kabul on August 15th, blocking Taliban terrorists from accessing those funds, estimated at about $9 billion in reserves, both the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank froze Afghanistan's uh, aid accounts shortly thereafter. So there's a bunch of money that's locked up, essentially, 
once the president left, the president of Afghanistan left, they froze all that money because then he was going to take it for himself. So now the Taliban wants it because they're going to care for the people as they say. There's a lot of rhetoric coming from the Taliban that they really need to help the people that live in the community there and they need that money for that reason. I don't believe that's the case. Obviously, the United States just hands money to other countries in this case. Here's the real question. Is the United States, is the Biden administration going to aid the Taliban and allow them access to these funds? That's what I'm very interested in. I have this Epic Times piece. Masuma Haq is the uh, the writer. So President Joe Biden's National Secretary Advisor, Jake Sullivan, he's the really tall, weird, thin, scraggly dude, uh, said it is possible that the Biden administration would provide aid to the Taliban following the United States' withdrawal from Afghanistan and the collapse of the Afghan government. So it is very possible uh, that, the, that the Biden administration would actually provide aid to the Taliban, considering everything that has happened and transpired over these past couple, like this past month, really. So Sullivan told ABC, uh, Good Morning America, he stated, and I quote, and he's talking about the financial assistance, that will be about the Taliban's actions. It will be about whether they follow through on their commitments. So this is actually kind of the way I'm going to read this here. And this is just straight up conjectures, political analysis 101. What I think may happen here, the United States will pay them like a ransom, will pay the Taliban money to ensure that United States citizens that are stranded in Afghanistan get back here. So thus far, the American taxpayer has paid for the defense budget of the Taliban. They've fully armed the Taliban with some really premier grade weaponry. And now they're going to pay off the Taliban to get some people back to the United, to the United States. And the problem is, is the government's the one that caused this problem and caused us to spend all of this money to begin with. Uh, so the security advisor said providing humanitarian aid to Afghans is a priority for the Biden administration and will flow through non-governmental organizations as in NGOs. And the reason for that, I don't really know why it's an NGO. Stating, and I quote, they need help with respect to health and food, aid and other forms of substance. And we do intend to continue that. And quote, so yeah, we're going to be giving money. And, and what they're saying is, oh, if we, uh, this is why they're calling them NGOs, non-government organizations. If we give it to the non-government organizations, none of the money will see Taliban hands. That's not the case because the Taliban will just use force to instill that they get that money back. <laughs> so, so it's really just, the whole thing to me is, it's stupid. Uh, they just say that to kind of cover themselves, making it like, these NGOs aren't in bed or being threatened by the Taliban. So, however, long-term economic development assistance would only be provided to the terrorist organization if they keep the pledges they made to the United States, such as, and I'm quoting, their commitments to safe passage for Americans and Afghan allies, their commitment to not allow Afghanistan to be a base from which terrorists can attack the United States or any other country, their commitments with respect to upholding international obligations, it's going to be up to them. And we will wait and see, by their actions, how we end up responding in terms of economic and development assistance, uh, said Sullivan. So yeah, they're going to wait on the moves from the Taliban. What I think this is going to be is a payoff just to allow Americans to come back. And then, you know, the Biden administration is going to make a big deal out of this. And they won't disclose how much money they paid. And the, and the media will, you know, continue to carry the water. So to get off of Afghanistan, I got a couple of other topics I wanted to uh, talk about here. 
So Alex Berenson, he was, he was permanently suspended from Twitter. A couple other people were suspended as well over this weekend. Uh, you know, the tech giants, the tech oligarchy, the tech tyrants, they want to take us all away. They, if they could, they would line us all up and they would take us all out. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to control the narrative. They're trying to control what is allowed to be said. And they will deem you as misinformation. Alex Berenson this entire time has brought up nothing but studies, nothing but empirical data and evidence. And he has been just shut down by by uh, social media corporate, big corporations. And what's weird about it is there's no counter narrative. There's no counter... Uh, narrative allowed, but that, what I'm saying is there's no counterpoint to everything that Alex Berenson has brought up thus far on a Substack. Every he goes on Fox News, he'll debate people. No one has anything. Like like the left won't even bring him on CNN. They don't want to bring him on CNN because he has all the facts behind him. They're not going to debate Alex Berenson because CNN, they're just propaganda. I mean, this is all propaganda media now at this point. So study finds that masks have. No substantial effect on spread. Uh, this is a Blaze article I thought was interesting and it was pertinent. Chris Pondolfo. Now, they had this, this the risk versus the benefits of, of wearing a mask and not wearing a mask. And now the person that carried out the study, Guerra, said his study uh, coheres with earlier randomized control trials that did not find surgical masks to lower probability of COVID-19 infection. He stated, and I quote, simulations with mannequins and theoretical calculations also support this as virus-containing aerosols efficiently escape from, the, from masks that are not fitted respirators. Aerosols would presumably accumulate to a steady state level in congregate settings to enable infection levels like those in non-masking settings. So really what he's saying is aerosols would accumulate uh, in the mask and then they would also go through the mask because it's not fit like a respirator. Some other stuff, if you just look at mask mandates across the board in actual reality in how it worked in real life when it happened over these last couple of years, the, all the states that had the strictest mask mandates for the most part had the highest spread, also had very high death rates. Um, for example, New Jersey and New York. So however... This process in t in, is time-dependent, so it is possible that a simple surgical or cloth mask could offer some protection in a passing encounter of short duration. For workplaces or schools where people congregate for hours at a time, you would expect much less protection. So it's pretty much saying you, you can't draw the conclusion that masks, surgical masks, masks, pretty much anything that isn't an N95 makes a real difference um, because those particles are going to go through, those aerosols are going to go through the mask. So for the, for the risks, Guerra said there are both known and potential harms in frequent masking. So he explained this. He stated, and I quote, Surgical or cloth masks are safe for most people for short periods of time. However, chronic use is associated with enhanced susceptibility to skin barrier breakdown due to pH changes in facial skin. This uh, can promote subsequent infection by bacteria. Repeatedly taking off and putting on the same mask, touching a mask with unwashed hands, or wearing a used mask increased the likelihood of upper respiratory tract infections, he noted as well. Um, and workers have reported greater fatigue, headaches, and psychological stress from wearing the masks. That's partially probably, probably uh, hypercapnia. So, And it also can interfere with social learning in children. So there's really nothing uh, good to 
be said about masks, it increases your chances of infection with bacteria as well as upper respiratory infections because uh, you're breathing in back and forth the same, I guess, I don't, I don't want to call them aerosols, but the same like bacteria because there's moisture that comes out every single time you spit out a sentence. I mean, this is all given. I mean, this is all, everybody knows this. People that have been reading into this that are against like the mask mob right now, they're aware of all of this. So I have another story. I have a couple stories here about teachers. I have, um, let's see who I want to play first. I'm going to play this dude from Project Veritas. They call it the Santifa teacher. I think he said he teaches out of, not San Diego. I think it was, let's see if I can figure this out. Oh, Sacramento, California. And he just explains how he teaches the kids in the classroom and how he has a picture up of Mao on the wall. He has the LGBTQ flag up on the wall as well. He's got the communist, like, hammer and sickle, I think. He's wearing on a shirt or he's wearing, like, an Antifa uh, shirt. So he's an Antifa organizer, but he also teaches, he's a high school teacher as well, and he teaches like a politics class. Uh, yeah, so check this out, play clip three. Behavior come out of this city, and you can see a couple of people over there that might be demonstrating that. I have 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. How do you do that? How do you scare the fuck out of them? Meet Gabriel Geit. He's a public school teacher paid for by taxpayer dollars at Intercom High School in Sacramento, California. Gype, who teaches advanced placement government classes, is not shy about his involvement in Antifa's local chapter. He even has an Antifa flag and a poster of Mao Zedong in his classroom. So, um, you know, it's like my wife and I have been political organizers. I've been organizing since I was 13. Wow. And, and I've been in a ton of different organizations. Um, and I've, I've, you know, I've been on the front lines and I've taken a step back and gone back and forth. And, and my wife is the same way. Um, is there a local Antifa or chapter? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we have a uh, terrorist organization, somebody that's been on the front lines, as he says, which pretty much means he's, he's, he's partaken in political violence is really that's all he's saying in that case there uh yeah if you didn't see the visuals he has a picture of mao he has a picture of the antifa flag he has a picture of the lgbtq plus whatever flag he's just a he's just a far leftist and these are the people that are teaching your children not not him in particular but people that are very similar to him hold his ideology may not be as extreme as he is, but a lot of these teachers' unions and these teachers, this is the ideology, this is what they hold uh, near and dear to their heart. This is what they believe in. And I don't want to say all of them. If I had to guess, I would say probably at least, at the very least, 70% probably hold the same ideology. I have this other clip of another teacher as well, talking about how she does not have a flag, the United States flag, because... It makes her feel awkward and weird to have the United States flag in her classroom. Instead, she has the LGBTQ flag. So when the kids stand and they pledge allegiance, it is to the LGBTQ flag. And she laughs about this like an evil villain. Uh, play clip five. Okay, so during third period, we have announcements and they do the Pledge of Allegiance. I always tell my class... Stand if you feel like it. Don't stand if you feel like it. Say the words if you want. Don't have to say the words. So my class decided to stand but not say the words. Totally fine. Except for the fact that my room does not have a flag. It used to be there. But I took it down during COVID because it made me uncomfortable. And um, I packed it away and I don't know where. And I haven't found it yet. <laughs> 
but my kid today goes, hey, um, it's kind of weird that we just stand and then, you know, we say it to nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got to find it. Like, I'm working on it. I got you. <laughs> in the meantime, I tell this kid, we do have a flag in the class that you can pledge your allegiance to. And he, like, looks around and he goes, oh, that one? So I'm going to take the very unpopular opinion, the conservative opinion, actually probably the further right of uh, conservative opinion on this. I think that any teacher that's transgender shouldn't be teaching. I think they are should be they should not have that job, that position, um, because it muddies the waters, it convolutes a child's mind about what sexuality is, uh, what biology is as well. It confuses a child, and there really has not been a study that has been able to compute what that uh, that type of effect has on a child i would assume it's not good it's probably very pernicious in nature um and obviously standing up for the lgbtq flag is i don't know i mean pretty egregious that's the best word i can use to describe it now this woman i believe she ended up getting suspended under review right now she should be fired she should have lost her job this is stupid to tell the kids that the American, I mean, yeah, these, these are public school systems. I don't care anything about your teacher's union. I don't give a shit about it. I don't care when we are paying for you to have your job. The teacher's union no longer matters. Your opinions really no longer matter. Your job, your political opinions don't matter. Your job is to teach the youth, the children. Um, telling them to stand up and pledge to an LGBTQ flag isn't even a laughing matter. I mean, this was on TikTok. This is like... The, the account libs posting their L's when the libs post their dumbass L's and they look stupid as shit because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand that people don't politically agree with them. People that have children, normal working class people, have dirt under their fingernails. They think that you guys are ignoramuses. Uh, yeah, so I think that it is child abuse. I also, like I said, I think a transgender person should not be allowed to teach. They should be barred from teaching, especially younger kids, younger kids, middle schoolers. I'd even say high schools for that matter, to be honest. Um, so I want to get to this, this other, this next thing here that I was kind of holding off last show. Uh, this is the man that shot Ashley Babbitt. You got Lieutenant Michael Bird, and I have a lot to say about this. I tweeted about this a couple days ago. Um, this is where he describes how courageous he was. Play clip seven. You describe, do you have any concern about showing your face and identifying yourself? Of course I do. Uh, that is a very vital point, and it's something that uh, is frightening. I believe I showed the uh, utmost courage on January 6th, and it's time for me to do that now. So for him, it was courageous to pop off around indiscriminately into a group of people where he didn't really know where the round was going to go. Um, anybody that shot a pistol before, they understand how hard it is to predict the trajectory, unless if you're like some professional shooter. He shot a round, he popped off a round, and, and really he's not courageous, he's a coward. In this case, he couldn't handle himself, he's cowardly. Now imagine if there was one of these BLM protests that was handled that way. When they were at the CNN Center and they were throwing bricks at uh, police officers, they were throwing literal projectiles that could kill police officers, and the police officers were not firing their firearms back at them. Uh, 
Now imagine if that happened in that case, how, how much of a disaster that would have been. But this isn't a problem, and, and you really, let me get to the base root of the issue. The, it's not a problem because there's a two-tiered justice system. There's the justice system for the far left, and then there's the justice system for everybody else, including the right wing. There's teachers from middle school that I went to school at the, at the school with a middle school teacher, music teacher, that was calling her treason or was pretty much dancing on her grave the day after this was all said and done. These, these people, these leftists, they want you dead. They don't want you here anymore. They don't value your life. Your life is not as precious as theirs is. They say they hate the state. They say they hate the cops. They say they hate uh, this monopoly of power and this monopoly, monopoly of force that the federal government has and the, the state governments as well. And that's not the case. They actually don't. They just hate when all the power and all the uses of force aren't in their favor. They like the idea of the state. They like the idea of that force, that monopoly. Uh, it's just that it's usually not in their favor because their side of the political aisle is always the one that's rioting over things, stealing from, from innocent people and killing innocent people like David Dorn, like they did to David Dorn, I think, over in St. Louis. Uh, yeah, so this guy's not a coward. To pop off around indiscriminately into a crowd is probably the most, not not only the one of the dumbest things that you could have possibly done, but it was also just cowardly as well. It was pathetic to see somebody do that. So I got another clip of him, and he kind of talks about, and, and this is this uh, by far is probably the best clip. He is asked by Lester Holt, so kind of what justified, and, and these are all softball questions. There's really no challenging here but what justified you you just popping off around like that why didn't the other officers pop off around and just check out what he has to say about that uh play clip 10 and what did you think this individual was doing at that at that moment? she was posing a threat to united states house of representatives but an attorney for ashley babbitt's family disputes that he did not respond to our request for a comment but in a previous statement said babbitt was not brandishing a weapon not in close proximity to members of congress and was not an imminent threat of death or serious injury to anyone her family points out that she was not armed that's correct the fact that you weren't aware whether she was armed or not did that alter the decision making it did not. What should we make of the fact that there were other officers in other potentially life-threatening situations who didn't use their service weapons that day? Um, I'm sure it was a terrifying situation. I can only control my reaction, my training, my level of expertise. That would be upon them to speak for themselves. So there's a use of force continuum. There is also a justification of lethal force as well now in this case lieutenant boyd i think it's his name lieutenant boyd he doesn't differentiate at all he does not clarify why he used deadly force he said oh well there was there were senators and house of representatives somewhere in the building um essentially if you watch the actual video ashley babbitt gets shot she drops from the window that she was trying to climb through and behind her were fully armed uh and fully armored as well members of the capitol police so she, there was no real threat there was no real danger that she was posing she's a five foot tall i think 130 pound woman uh there, there was no threat he did not say she was armed he did not say he she thought he thought that she had a bomb i am amazed that he had the gall and the temerity to come on national television and then lester holtz throwing them the softball questions like this this was pathetic this dude is a coward uh 
he should be prosecuted for what he did because there's not what why is it that you're the one popping off the round and if you actually look at him in the video he looks scared he's shaking he this guy's never been in like a situation like you haven't been in a situation in your life dude you popped off around indiscriminately into a crowd of people you don't even know who you were shooting at at that point that could have gone through impacted and gone through and and hit a bunch of other people in the room. you don't even know i mean you just you just make it up you just show up and you know nbc's going to carry it for you uh, at this point, you just pop. I, I just can't believe you pop around into a group of people that also have a bunch of cops surrounding them. So there really is no fear. There's nothing. You got scared in that in that brief moment, and you couldn't handle the pressure. And then you call yourself courageous afterwards, and you pat yourself on the back unapologetically. It's just to me, this is this is asinine. This is upside down. And let's be real here, the only reason why this is acceptable is because of, one, the political aisles, and then you have a, a black man shooting a white woman, which is, is completely acceptable in today's political spectrum. That's that's fine. That's all That's all good and dandy, right? Um, this is pretty egregious stuff. This is reprehensible. And the media carrying the water for him just really shows that the media doesn't care about stories. They don't care about the big story. There's always this saying, if it bleeds, it leads. That's not the case. Why is that? The media gets funded by, you got Bill Gates, you got Soros, funds a lot of these media outlets. They give them extra money to keep them afloat. Uh, and it's to paint a narrative, of course. Their narrative is actually not a popular narrative. They're not getting more viewership. It's not about bleeding and leading now. For them, it's about actually painting the narrative and impacting and influencing people in this country that don't read enough and don't pay attention to what's going on what their job has now become has become to shift the country further and further left towards a dystopia a uh, socialist dystopia where the collective is the only thing that matters and when you say the collective you mean the collective oligarchs at the very top and everybody else below them gets treated like shit that's what they're pushing for, and they want people to have this race war as well. This would be a huge story if they actually cared about police use of force or police brutality or excessive force by police officers. This would be a huge story, and this one would sell big if they tried to sell it, but they don't want to. They want to shut it down, and they want to negate it. And why is it that they want to do so? Because it was a right-wing person that got killed. So it doesn't matter to them, and it also doesn't fit the narrative of being a... Um, a black victim it's a white victim with a black suspect so that's not a problem to them that's that's considered justified that's okay so uh that one will conclude it folks i really appreciate you for tuning in as always uh you know stay tuned for this weekend special it should be a good one maybe some of those numbers coming out of afghanistan how many u.s citizens are actually there will come out maybe uh biden will drool on himself some more so we can make fun of him a little bit as well like I said, drop the mic on people, let them know about my name, let them know about the podcast, try to get the word out there. I've been getting some more viewership, I've noticed, listenership as well, which is good stuff. That means that the podcast is kind of getting around, it's switching hands. Some people like it, some people don't, uh, but it's good to see an increase in some of the numbers and try to expand the, the freedom apparatus in this country because we definitely need it right now. So I greatly appreciate you folks all for tuning in, and please, please, please tune into the next show over this weekend. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoy your week, and I will see you this weekend. Thank you. It's